House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm your host today, Al Warren. Joining me in the hosting seat is Eric Robinette Shapiro. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I had to use that because uh, you got sworn in yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah. Robinette. Yeah, I'm going to call myself and my sons. Our middle names are all uh, Robinette until future notice. I'd never heard of that name before. You know that? Yeah, me neither. It's so funny because Biden's been in politics for almost 50 years. And uh, I vaguely knew he was Joseph R. Biden. And then Robinette didn't. I, I don't think it was. I knew his middle name was Robinette until he won. And then I started calling myself Eric Robinette Shapiro. But only uh you know, only in your company, Al. Well, thank you. I'm yeah. I just can't. I just, I still don't know where that, Robinette. Yeah, that's such a strange name, Robinette. And then there's, uh, I was posting on my Instagram, you know, there's a uh, sort of female version of Robin, you know, Batman sidekick. I yeah. forgot what the character's name is, but uh, I was like, hey, look, it's Robinette. You know, that, that works. So oh. I don't know. That's a really strange name. Yeah. Robinette. So Parouette, yeah. Robinette. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so now today we've got uh, Dinosaur King. We've got uh, a, I guess we'll call sci-fi writer, uh, science fiction, uh, Rick Boldart. Thank you for being here, Rick. Thank you for having me. Hi, Alan. Hi, Eric. Hey, Rick. <laughs> um, so what? What? Okay, uh, I was looking at your your books here now. So you. Oh boy, how do I start this? So you, you're into the <laughs> science fiction. So what got you into this, this, this part of writing? I, I, this is very interesting to me. So what makes a person sit down and go, I'm going to write science fiction and, and in dinosaurs in this sort of world that you've covered? I, I, I consider myself a science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer. It's kind of a mixture. I like to blend the genres. Um, I, I've just always loved that as a kid. Um, science fiction, you know, I grew up on the reruns of uh, The Twilight Zone and, and you know, uh, Outer Limits and things like that. And uh, I just love the pulpy stuff, you know, Indiana Jones and the over-the-top adventures. Um, it, it's always been fascinating to me. And I always love dinosaurs. I know for a lot of kids, it's a phase I'm still waiting for mine to end. It hasn't <laughs> ended yet. <laughs> but what I, I have very fond memories. I mean, I, my parents always bought me books on dinosaurs um, with great illustrations, and I would learn all their names and all the facts about them. And about once a month, my parents would, you know, drop my sister and I off with, you know, the grandparents to sleep over, and they'd go to Atlantic City for the day or, or overnight and they'd always bring me back a dinosaur, a different dinosaur, you know, like one of those uh, resin figures or a plastic figure. Um, and I would just collect them. And I had a huge collection. I still have a few of them. I don't know where the rest of them went. Um, but uh, so I, I was always fascinated by them, Jurassic Park, you know, those kinds of things. But I'm also a huge Dungeons and Dragons player, and I'm also a dungeon master. Oh, um, nice. Okay. So I love the fantasy element and storytelling. And uh, that's when I realized maybe I should start. I mean, I've always written stories. Um, even as a kid, I used to write short stories. Um, I, I, I wrote a, a little story when I was, I don't know, it was four or five. I was a little precocious with that stuff. Um, 
about how a, a leopard got his spots and is basically he had a fight with a dragon the dragon bit him all over dropped him into the mud and the mud soaked into the holes and that's how he got his spots and mm. uh, it was fully illustrated and everything and I, i've always loved storytelling um so i'm but, like let me try and write a novel about it and see if i can get it published but but what made yeah so what made you actually decide that you could, I, I mean, so you, so you love all the sci-fi and some horror and, and some, some of the stuff, but what made you actually go th- get the confidence? When was the confidence there that you could write down a story and you thought this was good enough for someone to, to actually buy? That's a big leap, and I have to credit my wife with that. Um, I was kind of writing for fun. I've always written for fun on and off, and uh, I started putting together Primordial Island, and she has, she's a teacher. She has a friend who uh, used to work in publishing and she showed her friend, you know, my manuscript. And she's like, what do you think? And her friend said, this is actually, I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm your friend, but he should try and get this published. This is, this is pretty nice. good. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, there's a lot of, the big leap is you really want to get the manuscript as shiny and and perfect as you can get it, although it's never perfect. Um, you got to be careful about sending manuscripts out there before they're ready, because you really only have one shot with each publisher. Um, so you can't submit a manuscript. It has a lot of errors or, or problems with it, and they reject it, and then you fix it, and you can't really send it back to that same publisher again. So at some point, it's really it's a fine line. You have to decide. You can't work on it forever, because then it will never get out there. Um, right, right. You have to pull the plug sometime. You have to. Yes, you got. You got to. Right, you got to jump out of the plane at some point. And uh, right. But when you when said, "Oh, I was going to just this because it's on the same," you said you you know used to write for fun, and now you know you you clean up this manuscript and you're going to a publisher. Has your do you think your writing has changed now that you're published? Yes, um, even preparing to get published. Uh, rather than just writing for, you know, recreation, pure recreation. Um, I started researching, you know, writing techniques, um, styles. Uh, for example, I'm partial to third person limited. Um, and I have a, a usually a good sized cast of characters. I like to hop around with different points of view. Um, but when you're reading that person's chapter or their, seg- their, their scene, you're kind of seeing things through their eyes. And I like to do different types of characters from different walks of life so that different readers can relate to say one character over another. So I, I, I really studied how to do that. Um, I, I like a nonlinear style of uh, storytelling. I like to jump right in um, because uh, nowadays publishing, they want you to hook the reader immediately. Uh, there's a formula to that first page. The first page, first paragraph, you have to basically say who, who the main character is, what's the main conflict that they're dealing with, where, when, why, all within one paragraph. And, and the first line or, or two is killer. I mean, you have to really nail it. Um, so I think publishing has changed from my, my – re- I'm new at this, but my research, you know, showed that Years ago, you, you were allowed a lot of exposition in the beginning and kind of easing into stories, whereas now they kind of want you to jump right in, especially for this type of genre. Um, so I jump right in, and then I tend to 
give exposition through flashbacks about characters. This way, the reader gets to jump right into the action. Kind of, you kind of get their bearing as they go, and then I'll throw in a well-placed flashback to kind of explore characters more. So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of research into, you know, serious writing techniques, uh, because once you decide to, you know, get serious and publish, you want to make sure it's, it's as good and professional as it can be. Uh, when you're doing the revising, I was curious, is it more like sentence mechanics, like you're going line by line, or are you more of like a story and subject reviser? Both. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. You're all over it, yeah. <laughs> right, all over it. I mean, I tend to, I like to get the story out in rough draft first um, before I really go over it. I kind of just uh, vomit the story out because I think there's a big misconception that you have to obsess and labor over every single word as you're going along. If you mm. do that, you're never going to finish the story. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, but there's a lot of revision. I mean, a lot of revisions just even before I submit it to the publisher. And then, of course, you know, I used a, a beta tester, a, a friend of mine who he actually passed away from COVID. Oh. Great guy. Had no regard for my personal feelings whatsoever, which was perfect. So he would rip it apart, tell me everything that was wrong with it. And uh, I'd fix it up. And then, of course, you know, the publisher would go back and forth with different rounds of edits. Mm. Uh, my two books are through Severed Press. Uh, Severed, yeah, they're a great publisher, yeah. He, uh, it sounded like your friend was constructive, though, even though he, he might have been blunt and brutal, but it was, uh, it was yes. all for the good. Yeah. Yes, and I told him, please, just if there's something wrong, tell me you're not going to hurt my feelings. And yeah. he did. And he nailed a lot of things that were interesting. Uh, because, you know, it's tough when you're knee deep in it. It's tough to have an objective uh, perspective on it. You kind of need those outside eyes to help you. And then, of course, the publisher yeah. had an editor and we went back and forth. And that's another set of eyes, which was great also. Yeah. You found uh, you were happy with the editor they assigned? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I found that can be hit or miss. I've had editors where I feel like at every turn I'm guarding the work from them, like their touch might be too heavy. Then I've had editors that are just wonderful and they just bring the potential out. So that's always a moment where I sort of like hold my breath to see how the editor is going to go. Yeah. And you yeah. know what, the way I look at it, 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 the way I look at it is if they really nail even some things that are pretty significant, it's, it's going to make it better and you want it to be as good as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the key for, you know, from their standpoint, they have to really be all for the, the product itself and for the, be right. the good of the product. And if there's that mindset, I think, you know, all ships rise with that tide. It's uh, the worst thing an editor can do is make it about them and be like, hey, look at my bag of tricks. Look what I can do. And then you're, you got a real problem. Right. Yeah. They shouldn't yeah. be writing it for you. They should be right. helping you write it. Right. Exactly. And just bringing out your potential. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's good. So it seems like, uh, with the <clears throat> recommended style of hitting the ground running, are you real suspense oriented in terms of wiring the story together just to keep the pages yes. turning? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I titrate the information out very deliberately. Um, that's why I like third person close rather than omniscient because okay. you're, you're really seeing it through the character's eyes and the character doesn't necessarily have all the facts or all the information. And then I have a cast of characters. So you're getting each time I switch around, you're getting a different piece of it. And it's, it's, it's a mystery. It, it unravels, you know, uh, the, the series starts out, there are two books out primordial Island and return to primordial Island. Uh, okay. There's an uncharted Island, a plane goes down 
And uh, in the salvage operation, they uncover, you know, dinosaurs, indigenous tribes, uh, very lost world type stuff. Um, why is there an uncharted island? I mean, how in this day and age with all the technology that we have, I mean, how can an island be missed like that? And it's interesting because I do a lot of research on satellite relays, um, cartography. It's amazing that there are actually a lot of gaps in cartography, more than you would realize. Um, I had to do research on emergency locator transmitters, a lot of technological stuff. Um, and then I threw in the dinosaurs, which uh, that's interesting because I made a point of kind of joking around about, um, you know, certain famous books from the past that were paleontology is always evolving. We're always disproving, you know, uh, theories that were, uh, it seems like constantly we're disproving theories that were held to be fact or, tr or truth. Um, and I, I had a lot of fun with going back and uh, referencing some of that and building in some of the new theories. Um, you know, did a T-Rex have feathers? Um, did they really run 30 miles an hour? Um, did they roar? Um, it's mm -hmm. largely believed now that they actually did closed mouth uh, vocalization. Uh, they had basically a lot of air sacs and you know, a lot of hollow areas in their skull. And if you think about it, if you're a predator and you're hunting, why would you roar before? Why would you right. presence? <laughs> hey, it's, I'm huge and I'm coming to eat you. Just warning you. Um, <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff in the research that came out. Yeah. Even the politics of paleontology. Um, <laughs> all the money really goes towards uh, intact finds. I mean, there are a lot of uh, finds that are incomplete or partial or damaged. And it's tough to get grants or money uh, towards excavating those. And it's frustrating from a, a lot of paleontologists get frustrated because even those findings can give you information or data. Right. Uh, but it's tough to get funding for that kind of thing. I guess um, the, in the intact ones are more of a story. It's more of a, yeah, yes. it just sort of self-justifies. That's, that's what the museums want. They want intact finds. There's a black right. market for fossils, uh, which wow. I didn't realize. Wow. Um, it's big in Asia. Uh, they love collecting these uh, fossils. Um, so it's very interesting. It, it just the, delving into the research itself was a lot of fun because I thought I knew a lot about dinosaurs, and I really didn't. I mean, I, I did, but you can always learn more about any subject, I guess. Were you trying to make it as accurate as possible, like, uh, you know, just to push the accuracy to the limit, or did you give yourself a little room uh, in the sense that, okay, this is sci-fi, it is fantasy, so, you know, because it's a genre and there's horror elements, we can make, leave it a little bit heightened? Yes. Um, I did take some liberties with the dinosaurs. Okay. Um, and uh, the, the fantasy element, you know, this is an uncharted island, there's some supernatural stuff going on also. Um, so it's a nice blend. And I was very influenced. I, I love growing up with Indiana Jones. I mean, that was just yeah. such an influence how, you know, he was a paleontologist and he was a scientist, but he always ran into this supernatural stuff also. And it kind of added yeah, another yeah. layer that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was just saying. And then um, depending on the movie, the genre kind of is different because Temple of Doom is kind of like a horror movie. Uh, yeah, right. then you could say Last Crusade is more like a, a slapstick comedy. Like, you know, so he's yes. yeah, crossing all these worlds. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I, I was going to say in your characters then. So how did you decide your character? Like your uh, Dr. Tracy Morin and stuff like that. How did you create them? 
Um, I, I kind of, it, it's an interesting process. Um, I kind of want to create characters that are, you know, realistic, uh, interesting, but very normal, very, uh, so no, you know, action hero, Mary Sue types that are perfect in every way. So what I wanted to do was I, I like romance. I, I, I'm kind of a romantic at heart. Um, I, I wanted to build a love triangle and I wanted to use, uh, predator prey relationships on the island between dinosaurs and, and the people running and screaming and being eaten as a metaphor for romance, uh, so I create a character, Peter, uh, who's a, he's a paleontologist and he's kind of, he's a bright guy, nice guy, a lot of fun, but shy, kind of, you know, nerdy. I'm a nerd, so I don't say that disparagingly. <laughs> um, and he has these two women kind of competing for him. And traditionally the, it's the guy who, in, in, especially in pulp novels or pulp stories, pulp fiction, it's the guy who pursues the, you know, the damsel and he's very aggressive. And, and here I, I'm like, let me flip that on its head. Let me have a guy who's kind of passive and nervous and awkward and have these two females kind of competing for him. And they're kind of aggressive in their own way. And it's kind of uh, symbolic of what's going on on this very untamed island. So I kind of built the characters out from that core concept. Um, so you have uh, him and the, and, 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 the other paleontologist, Tracy, and then Mary, who's a biologist, um, who studies animal behavior. And, it, and then I kind of built a lot of supporting characters around that. Uh, then I, I said, you know what, these are a lot of scientists. Let me throw in a character that, you know, someone who isn't a scientist could relate to and somebody who, you know, if one of us was thrown on an island like this, how would he react? Um, so there is a survivor of the plane crash who he's the first character you're actually introduced to in the book. Um, and he, he survives the plane crash and he has the first encounter with a T-Rex and you kind of see things through a lay person's eyes, somebody who knows nothing about paleontology, animal behavior, anything like that. And then, uh, I, I have what I call a, a helix style of writing where I have different characters who all start in different places and then they kind of as the story progresses and the helix twist they kind of intersect at different points and that's where you see different points of view that you know started out separately kind of coming together wow so do you, are you are you just influenced from the 80s and from that sort of thing or were you do you like some of the real old um concepts of you know journey to the center of the world and all oh that yeah absolutely yep yep absolutely um i love all the pulp stuff uh a lot of fun and as, as a kid it just you know just captures your imagination and it's i really wanted to do that um with these books i didn't want it to just be a jurassic park where it was and i might say just a jurassic park was a great <laughs> oh just that a great thing. book yeah oh just that thing <laughs> Um, just that classic, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> just, I didn't want it to be purely sci-fi and, and super accurate. Like Eric said, I wanted to build in some mythology and some of the more over the top supernatural elements, uh, to kind of have it clash with science and technology. So it's man versus man, man versus nature, um, man versus technology, technology versus nature. And it all kind of intersects and clashes. 
it, well, it who, sounds who to wins? me. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ambitious. I mean, it's, it sounds to me like you're using the science as kind of an underpinning, as a research backdrop, so it, it holds on that level. But I'm also getting the feeling that because of your passion for you know, the mythology, the dinosaurs, the Indiana Jones, their pulp storytelling, it right. seems like a lot of your energy is going into the emotional ride. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that comes from Dungeons & Dragons. Um, yeah. As a dungeon master, I like to take my players on a ride. And, uh, you know, you torture them a little bit, and you, have, you give them moments of triumph and victory. And uh, it's just fun to watch. And that's, I guess, when I wrote the characters, I almost felt like I was DMing for people who, you know, these fictional people. And uh, mm, yeah. what's interesting is as you write this, I'm not a big outliner. I kind of, it's more organic. I kind of write as I go. And they kind of help, you know, sometimes the characters surprise me. Like, Peter, why did you do that? Now I got I got to work away yeah. around this. Yeah, yeah. But it was very natural and it felt right, so I, I went with it. Um, well, that's that's but that's okay. So that's that's something I like to investigate. So because I'm I'm all nonfiction, I'm all uh, true crime and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. when you have these characters and you say, "Well, Peter, why did you do that?" Well, how do they do that on their own? Like, explain that to someone that doesn't write fiction. You set up a scenario. Um, you, you set up different plot elements, and then you have to see, well, given this, these characters, how would each character navigate through this? And you, you have to say, and that's a Dungeons & Dragons, or, or I also play Pathfinder. That's an RPG thing where you really want to be true to your character. That's the fun of playing that kind of game. So if you're a an or, half-orc barbarian, you have to approach things as a half-orc barbarian. How would he handle it? Um, he's not going to be a, a deep thinker. He's going to run into battle and fight. Mm. Um, so, you know, my character, Bill Gibson, he's the layperson, the, the plane crash survivor. He knows nothing about dinosaurs. <laughs> what is his reaction when he sees a T-Rex? Does he even know it's a T-Rex? Is that something he really expects? His, his reactions will, uh, will determine how the plot moves accordingly. And then, the, you know, the um, paleontologists and, and the biologists and, you know, I have a, a botanist, paleobotanist, you know, they have their preconceived notions based on fossil finds about, you know, these animals' behaviors. Um, you know, the, they often disagree about what they think one of these animals is going to do. And then the animal will just decide to do, you know, the, the dinosaur will decide to do something that none of them expect. How would they, based on their knowledge, how would they react to that? And their reaction will determine how the story moves along. Um, and sometimes uh, it's not just their knowledge, it's their personality. So Peter is kind of, he's, he's an introvert. He's, he's very timid. He's going to react very differently. He's going to be very cautious. Um, he's going to be very careful. Whereas Mary is more adventurous, and she's you know she's kind of an adrenaline junkie. She loves excitement. She's going to be a little more reckless. Now, if she's reckless in a situation when confronted with a Velociraptor or um, a Dilophosaurus or you know whatever it might be, you know does she get injured? Does Peter now have to summon the bravery to rescue her because she did something foolish? Is he going to decide not to do that? Is he? It's kind of, uh, I don't know what they're going to do sometimes. I have to see how it plays out based on who they are. And then sometimes I'll come up with something and it doesn't feel right. And I have to go back and, and kind of redo it. 
until it feels like that's something that character would do, given who they are. So do you have a relationship with your characters? Yes, I actually dream about them uh, as I'm writing. Um, Sometimes it's a dream about – I have very vivid dreams, always have. I remember a lot of my dreams. I keep a notebook by the side of my bed. Um, Sometimes it's it's a dream about them in in the scene, especially if I'm stuck. Um, Sometimes I'll dream through it. I'll work through it that way. Sometimes I'm sitting in my living room, and they're sitting there with me, and Peter will say, you know, I really don't like what you did with me last scene doesn't feel like me and then i have to dialogue it out with him. <laughs> it's very strange <laughs> she's been hearing voices for a while now yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. uh, but but did some but do these characters come from people you know or from people you've met uh you know at the start the the, the beginning of it or when you when you really. say peter or something does that sort of did, did Not someone really. it's know? kind of it's kind of it's it's kind of who would i find interesting in this book who would be interesting it's not like oh yeah this is my neighbor this is my best friend this is my wife it's kind of what type of person would be funny or interesting or you know if i have someone like peter who's timid i need somebody to counterbalance that out i need somebody who's very adventurous who's going to push his limits um i if i have all these scientists that's too science. It, it kind of like um, one thing I didn't like about the Star Wars prequels is that it was all Jedi focused. There was no Han Solo. There was no yeah. uh, Chewbacca. There was, you know, the original trilogy had it was a mishmash. It was a cross section of all different characters. So yeah. Plus, they, they of, lost the uh, the human element. The Han yes. Solo element was the human attitude. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it was all these Jedi's who were just they were like you know these. Zen monk type figures, which is interesting, but if you have just that, it gets kind of uh, one note. So, you know, I, I kind of would build out, I would start with a few characters and then say, all right, how do I counterbalance this? I don't want to all paleontologists and scientists. Then I had Bill, uh, then I had a project manager with the company, the salvage company, who she has her own backstory. Uh, they, they run into indigenous tribes. What are they like on this island? Um, so I kind of, I guess I start out with a few core characters and I build out, depending on if I was a reader, who, who would I want to see? Huh. Now, do you, do you have an underlying theme to this story? Uh, so when I read uh, Primordial Island and, and there's the uh, main idea that runs through it and, and the whole concept, but is there something I get out of it after I read it? I. Yeah, it's about, I like to have character, I, I, I'm very big with character arcs. They do not end the same way that they start. I like to find the, 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 inner, the good inner qualities, the good coping mechanisms, the strengths that are in everybody that may, they may not even realize that they have these uh, strengths, but given a crisis situation, the best comes out of them, and it's very interesting. And not that all the characters are perfect, and they all, in fact, they're very flawed. Um, but I, I think it's not so much how smooth the hero is, but it's their effort. It's their valiant effort to do good, whether it's clumsy or smooth or, or easy or difficult. And I, I think the truly heroic characters are the ones that are terrified and maybe don't know what they're doing, but they're doing their best to be honorable and do the right thing. Wow. 
Where, so where do you see yourself going with this? Is this going to be an ongoing thing for quite a while, you think? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, book one is out. Book one did very well. It was it hit the Amazon bestseller list in eight countries. Um, and book two just came out. Book one came out last, not this past um, December, but the one before. And then book two came out this past October. Um, so I guess I know the publisher likes to see how well it sells and um, sequels could be challenging because sometimes you lose readers if they didn't like exactly what you did. Uh, whereas the first book, you kind of catch a, a wider net. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I am contracted to do another Lost World type uh, novel. So I'm actually working on that now separate from this uh, series. So do, do, does that matter to you? I mean, of course, in the bottom line, but does it matter to you if it's a big hit or not? Um, I mean, it's it was nice. I mean, this was this was my uh, Primordial Island was my debut novel. It was really nice that that happened. I'm not expecting that to happen every time. Um, I, I'm just having fun right now writing, and the fact that I'm published is fun. And uh, working with the publisher, it, it's it's educational. It's interesting, um, and I love reading the reviews. Um, oh, you do. <laughs> even the, even the negative ones, I never respond. I know you never respond, <laughs> even if you may want to. But uh, even the negative ones are interesting. So, uh, for example, in the first book, I, I had my selection of dinosaurs, and then somebody she didn't give me a bad review, but she says, "You know what? I would like to see if there's a sequel. I'd like to see an aquatic dinosaur or two in the next one." And I built that in. I read that, and you know, a few other people said that. So Return to Primordial Island had some aquatic dinosaurs. It wasn't just T-Rexes and Velociraptors and, you know, the usual land dinosaurs. Um, I think it's important. I mean, you got to take everything, you know, not with a grain of salt, but uh, you got to have, I guess, proper perspective on this. I don't become obsessed with reviews, but I take the negative ones seriously. And when they're good reviews, you know, the four and five star reviews where people really loved it. I mean, it, it feels great. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, I know some authors say, well, I don't read reviews and I don't really, yeah. I just release it and that's it. I don't care what happens. Maybe it's because I'm new. I don't know. Um, well, no, I, I think there's a certain amount of um, the newer you are when you're writing, the more important it seems because it's never happened before. You know, you put something right. out and all of a sudden someone's giving you a review. It's like, oh, someone you don't know, right? And it's, uh, you know, not just a publisher thing or a friend. So you're kind of interested. And um, I, I think it's something that's very important, but kind of wears thin after time because after a while you realize that you, you can't please them all. Right. Yeah. It, but I think, uh, yeah, Al's right. I mean, that initial validation is so powerful. Especially like he was saying from a third party that owes you nothing, has no pre-context for you, only knows you as an author. And then when they rave, it's like, wow, you just you got your talent validated in the purest way. But I've had the exact same experience. Like it wears thin not only in the sense that, A, you can't please everyone, but I've even found surprisingly when I started, uh, I'm 42 now. When I started getting published, I was like 24. And I used to be euphoric, like I'd be flying when I got a rave. Uh, but now it like, it would make my day. It would be the difference between a good day and a bad day. Uh, but now good review or bad review. I think I'd move on in like moments. It's like, okay. I mean, it's just, like, I think, uh, but I, it's great to be in that spot where it's fresh and, uh, and you're enjoying it a lot. It's, it's really, it's a sweet spot to be in. Yeah. 
And it, yeah. it was, you know, being the first book I've ever published, it's, you, you know, you wonder, is this going to go over well? How is this going to go oh, over? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I make a huge mistake? I mean, the fact <laughs> that a publisher, you know, picks it up, I guess. It's, it's very validating. Yeah, it's an indication that it's, it doesn't stink. Um, but you never know. And it's, you, it was you'll be wonderful. in the 99 cent bin. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that gift with purchase. <laughs> right. Walmart, they're giving it away at the door here. <laughs> yeah, a lot of authors never even get to that level. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I, I find because it's moved on now, so the, the the reviews themselves are fine. But I don't. I used to be glued to all of the sites, you know, to see any time I got a review. But nowadays, no. Same here. But, but if yeah. someone, if if an author, or someone I know in that world so if someone that's written some really good books and they've been around and they actually take the time and write something about what i've written that's important to me now it seems to be i'm looking for a better set i don't know if it's better but it, um, uh, well, what is it it's someone that's more it's like the uh, respect of your peers right is that, yeah. Is it kind of like that? yeah yeah but i i think that that is important so you know and i got a few in that last one and that was that tended to be very significant for me uh-huh. oh nice yeah. it, it's not that it made me a better writer but it just it it sort of when you have someone that has written something that's uh, pretty good and then they say well this is a good book uh-huh. it, you know what i mean it, it makes you feel oh well maybe i can write yeah I mean, maybe, maybe as your career goes on too you start you start seeking other forms of validation or inspiration just like to keep going and it's like okay so this you know the, the bar changes but it's it's also just as meaningful you know like Rick is saying, to you know, to get it from a, a stranger. I mean, it really, it really just depends on your your perspective. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, I've been getting uh, involved with the writing community, which has been a lot of fun too. I'm in the uh, New York chapter of the uh, Horror Writers Association. Shout out to my HWA peeps and yeah, I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. 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 And I just recently got into the SFWA, so oh, awesome! Yeah, I'm just how are you acquainted with that? Nice. Uh, I've I've been in the HWA for a year. I just renewed for the first time. It was I didn't want to go in. Um, I'm active. I, they they were willing to give me an affiliate, and it took mm-hmm. me some struggling to get the active status, the top tier. And I've been a professional writer, you know, mostly with ghostwriting for like 18 years. So I was like. Very open. I was like, I don't want to be an affiliate. It did nothing against being an affiliate, but I just didn't mm-hmm. want to. Um, and they, they really worked me hard. I had to produce some contracts I had done for screenwriting, and they finally let me in. But yeah. I, I, like being, I like being a part of that. I like the community. Yep, yep. Yeah, This uh, the SFWA is even more difficult with the uh, okay. your bar is set even higher. But uh, I'm actually active in both. So that's, Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, it's cool. And then I guess that means we're able to vote on the Stokers. Is that how that goes? Yep, the Stokers and, members, the, yeah. and the Nebulas for uh, the Nebulas. For right. yep, yep. Nice, yeah. I, it's interesting because for years I was sort of uh, a loner around the whole community idea. Mm-hmm. But um, I learned because uh, my wife and I have a newspaper that steeps us in our local community. I learned the value of having allies around you. It's mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, from the stamp- not only from the standpoint of being a political animal, but then, of course, you, you learn things. And you just have uh, – you have a support system. And I, I started to embrace the HWA, but um, so do, do you find having writers in your network and being in communication with writers is, is something that helps your process? Yes. Um, yeah. it, it helps deal with uh, the insecurities. I'm new at this, so dealing with the insecurities – 
you know, a, a lot of writers have the insecurities, uh, you know, creative blocks, writers, writer block, um, all that. Yeah. And just, you know, just hearing what other people are doing, it's inspiring. I mean, we have a lot of very accomplished members in the New York chapter. And, you know, there are meetings when I get, I mean, they're all virtual now. In the beginning, they were, we used to meet in Manhattan. Oh, uh, nice. Okay. But then because of, you know, the pandemic, it's all Zoom now. Uh, but there are times I, I, you know, I get out of the meeting and I want to write. I want to sit down. They've just like oh, that's really cool. Stoke the fires of creativity. Yeah, it's like a, like a contact hive. Yes. Yeah, and they're the nicest people. They're all fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I found that I, I can't speak to sci-fi, even though I've written in sci-fi, but I'm less in community with sci-fi. But I found <laughs> consistently over the years that people in the horror community, for whatever reason, are like the sweetest and gentlest people. And a lot of people are surprised to hear that, but I don't know. Yeah. All the horror fans I've ever known and grown up with, grown up with, are all nice people. It doesn't yeah, it's like they're like comfortable with their shadow or something. There's like yes. there's an integration. Now, Rick, what would you say about a person that's a new writer? Like you've gone through this newbie sort of thing, and you've got a few books out now, and you kind of you've made it. You're a big star now. Um, but what 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 do you say? To a person that's uh, how you were before you were published, what do you, what do you recommend now that you've been through it? Um, if you really want to get published, if you want to uh, jump from just writing for pure recreation to trying to get published, you know, invest the time in really you know learning the techniques, um, and st you know, start having people rip apart your work. Um, that sounds terrible, but uh, that's how you get better. Um, that's how you make that leap. That's when you're getting really serious. Um, I'm a big pool player. I love shooting pool. I have a few trophies. The way I learned uh, how to shoot the way I do is getting my butt kicked routinely in the beginning by people who are way better than me, who knew all the techniques, and, and you just pick it up as you go. And it, it could seem like a a harsh or a violent process, but you know what? It, it, it's an mm. adventure, too. It could be fun. It's you're, you're doing something on another level than what you're used to doing it. And just get your stuff out there. Make sure it's ready, as ready as it can be, but don't labor on it, you know, for a decade. Um, you know, get it out there. And then I, as soon as – I have other stuff that I wrote that hasn't been published yet. I don't know if it ever will be, but I'm always writing something. If you want to write, write. Write all the time. Write whenever mm -hmm. you get a, a chance uh, rather than focusing on one thing at a time and, you know, doing it in a very linear, serial fashion. Well, what's your cutoff point? But how do you how do you know when it's ready to go? Like, you know, because you can write. I find this myself, too, because you can keep on going back to it and changing mm -hmm. it and adding and doing this and mm -hmm. re-editing and stuff like that. But when do you know when to say that's enough? Uh, when it feels like a, it just a, a, a story that's told well, it's kind of, I always say that it's like when someone tells a good joke or a good anecdote. Um, I think a lot of, you know, I'm a new writer, but a lot of writers, when they first start out, focus on style and voice. You know, voice, it's a very projective thing. Your voice is your voice. It'll come through no matter what. If, you, if it becomes too manufactured, that's not your voice then. It's, it's yeah. something else. Well said. Um, just, you know, get it out there, tell the story, tell it well. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it's never going to be perfect, but it's like when someone tells a joke, there may be a couple of small missteps as they deliver the joke, but if it makes the audience laugh, you know, if it makes people laugh, it's a good joke. You told it well. 
or if it's a story, a good anecdote, and you get, you know, you're holding court and people are around you listening to your story, you're telling it well. It doesn't matter what language you use or your style. I think so much is made of style. Just tell an effective story. And when you feel it's effective, then you send it out and see what happens. What other kind of writing do you like? I mean, you write into the sci-fi horror and stuff, but do you, do you read other types of writing as well? Uh, I, mostly horror, science fiction. Um, you, fantasy, there's a lot of – I'm not crazy about a lot of the fantasy that's out there. Um, although I love fantasy as a genre. I love playing Dungeons and Dragons. I love that kind of thing. Some of the fantasy books are, I don't know, they're not my style. They're not my cup of tea. Um, as far as other genres, romance, I like the occasional, I don't read a ton of romance, but uh, if, if there's a nice love story built into evil robots or, you know, <laughs> zombies or whatever, werewolves, I like it. Um, would I read something that's pure um, romance? And uh, probably not. It probably has to have some sort of contact with these other genres oh. uh non-fiction if it's a really good or interesting uh story i'll dabble a little bit of non-fiction yeah stay away from that it's scary <laughs> <laughs> it really is it really is i tell you i i just find this all fascinating um well so where do you see yourself going uh writing more books um and uh, seeing what happens and uh, getting more involved in uh, it's unfortunate because uh, you know, I, I just got into the SFWA and I'm, and I'm a member of the HWA, but this pandemic happened. And one of the benefits to being in these organizations is you get to do some events. Um, I'd like to do panels, conferences. I, I was on, I was in a virtual uh, sci-fi conference over the summer Um but I'd like to do something live at some point. Um, you know, New York City Comic Con, um, mm. you know, doing some of that stuff. The Brooklyn Book Fest I actually uh, went to a couple of times, uh, and that was fun. Um, but going, you know, as a part of these organizations, getting more involved in, in that sense would be fun, besides the writing aspect, getting more involved in the community. Now, when you said you, you, you like to have romance, in in the story or mm -hmm. you're attracted to the romance you like that mm -hmm. um so i'm taking it that you have an emotional side to you yes right? yep. so that being said um because i find this with myself now um last year was a pretty wicked year especially for the u.s you know mm -hmm. uh with all the things going on you know pandemic and all that sort of stuff with all of that stress and um you know, um, fear and, and all and unrest. Did it affect your writing because you are emotional? Uh, yes. Um, it initially, I, I had some writer's block, uh, when the first book started doing well, that was released right before the pandemic really hit, um, in the world of shutdowns. And then all of a sudden it released in, uh, December and it started doing well. It started really shooting up there in about, uh, you know, March or February. Um, the publisher severed said right away, you want to do another one. You want to do a sequel, but we got to get it out quick. We, you know, we want to strike while the iron's hot. And, uh, at the time I was not working at full capacity because of all the shutdowns. 
Um, and at, at first, it, it was very depressing and stressful. But then I said, you know what? This is the time to do it. If I'm going to bang out a sequel in uh, much less time than it took me to write the first book, I mean, I have the time to do it. And it was nice to get lost in my own head. I really enjoyed it. Um, it kind of became therapy for me. Um, and book two delves more into the fantasy aspect. And I think that's kind of the wish fulfillment part of it. You know, we're, we're right. We're stuck in this wicked year with a lot of terrible things happening. I really want to get lost in my own head and, and the more fantastical elements of this Island. I want this book to really take me away from reality. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I got it out. The first book took me about a year, uh, to write and get out. Um, I started the sequel, it was about April, and I finished it by June, and then we started doing the edits back and forth, so, you know, two, three months. Um, it didn't feel rushed because I had all the free time to do it. You know, we always say as writers, I wish I had free time, I wish I had free time. Yeah. In 2020, I had a lot of free time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do with it? Are you going to be depressed and terrified all the time, or are you going to try and do something productive with it? Yeah, but do you think that that um, underlying stress um, seeps into your writing? Mm -hmm. And do you actually think you write a little darker, maybe? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, on the island, there is, uh, in the second book, there is a supernatural force that kind of, I use infection as a metaphor. Um, it's like a cross between a biological infection and possession, like demonic possession. And uh, a lot of that came from fear of COVID. Um, and I, I kind of tapped into my own fears to kind of put that into my characters, but of course in a different scenario. But I think that emo those emotions came out as very real. Hmm. Yeah, I just can't. Yeah, I, for me, it's the same. I can't see how someone can, but some people say they can write and uh, it didn't affect them at all. Mm -hmm. They're even happier. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's they're all different. Um, now, do you have a, a website or a place you'd like people to go to find you, or do you have one location that you like uh, your stuff? Uh, my Amazon go? author, <laughs> my Amazon author webpage. I did have somebody offer to teach me edged edged weapon fighting. Uh, that was interesting <laughs> on Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess not quite a stalker. The person was very nice and didn't go beyond that. But uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean. Alan, do you have any experience with stalkers or? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, just you know, me. Well, yeah, no, and and Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that sets it up. You're you're a dungeon master. They're thinking S and M and rips and chains and. Right. No, you know, in the world nowadays, uh, there's just nothing you can do. Um, uh -huh. You know, yeah, you have to be careful because you really don't know. Right. Yeah. That's the problem, but um, yeah, no, it's all good. Don't worry about it. You yeah. know, misery. <laughs> if I had a fan like that, I'd be impressed. <laughs> well, you, you, yeah, be careful what you wish for. Be careful. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think Eric gets more attention than anybody because he's out um, there. He's out there on social media like crazy. Well, the, uh, thank you. Well, there are no fans like trolls. Let me tell you, those are those are like fans that, fans that don't realize they're fans. They're hanging on your every word. They want to bash you every second, but they uh, the last thing you can hold a gun to their head, they'll never admit how obsessed they are with you. 
Anyway, um, and okay, so that's your that's your website. We'll put that up with your books as well on our website, mm-hmm. and uh, anybody listening can do uh, one click, pick up the book, uh, find you, stalk you, write you a love letter, <laughs> and um, that's it. So uh, we've been talking with Rick Polark, and we're talking about his Primordial Island and return to Primordial Island. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.